Okay, so this morning we are, we're going to be starting our series on Advent. Has anyone Christmassed their house yet? Any Christmas trees? Christmas trees? Lights in the front garden? Has anyone bought themselves an Advent calendar? Did anyone have a little chocolatey treat this morning? Yes, well done. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, it would be um, fantastic if you could open them to Isaiah 9. Um, this is the verse that we're going to be focusing on throughout the next four services, so not all Sundays. One of them's a Monday. Yeah, Christmas Day's on Monday. That's changed. Oh, it's still spelt wrong. It's spelt wrong on every side, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> We'll just be triggered throughout the whole thing. So, um, yeah, you want Isaiah 9, 6. Um, We can't change that now. It's up there forever. So Isaiah 9, 6 says this. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Feels Christmassy, doesn't it? Christmassy words. But what we, want to, what we want to really dig into in this sort of series of talks is these words are, are really familiar to us. They're really familiar to us maybe if we've been brought up as Christians or we've got our own faith or we've sort of grown up experiencing church within Christian culture. These words are everywhere. And I had a little fun Googling what sort of things you can find these words on. You can find them on Christmas cards, which is pretty normal. Um, You can find them on fridge magnets. You can find them on little bits of embroidery that you put in your house if you're that kind of style. Um, uh, Yeah, on little glass ornaments, on gift tags. This word is everywhere. And that's fine. It's great. But sometimes when we're, when we're so used to these words, they become a little bit normalized to us, don't they? Sometimes they can feel like, like platitudes. And these words that are spoken about God have so much gravity to them. And I think that can be lost sometimes when we, when we read them over and over again and we see them all over the place. So that is the purpose of these four um, Fourth sermon or little talk slots that we're doing. We're going to be digging into each of these words, and today we're digging into wonderful counselor. These words aren't just nice things or nice phrases about God as the little baby Jesus born. These are words spoken long before Jesus came as a baby, and they're words that hold power and worth and meaning to people today after the baby Jesus was born. And that's why we're digging into them, these amazing words. They're about restoring our relationship with God. They're about bringing communion with God back, our creator, fixing humanity. That's what these words speak about. So our passage today that's going to annoy me now as well. Um, this passage today is coming from the book of Isaiah. So we all know that Isaiah was, well, Isaiah was a prophet. And prophets really had, they had one job. So Isaiah was a main prophet in the Old Testament. And his job was to tell normal people, people like us, what God was thinking, what God wanted to do. And at the time of this verse, um, the nation of Israel, God's people, they weren't in a fantastic place. They were hurting, they were struggling. And this is a word of hope, a word of promise, a word of God's plan to rescue Israel in that time. And that's what prophets did. 
So if you're thinking, who's Isaiah? What's he saying about this baby Jesus? That's a prophet. One of my favorite prophets is a guy called Ezekiel, and he came a few years after Isaiah. Um, And this just sort of, it's got nothing to do with this verse, but it will give you an illustration of what prophets were like and what they did. Ezekiel was a very literal prophet, and when God said, I want you to show my pain to the nation of Israel, he thought, I know exactly what I'll do. So he lay on his side for a year, just on his side, in the middle of town, and his arm would have gone all sort of disgusting, I guess is the nicest way to put it. It would have atrophied, all his muscles would have gone weird, and then, and then he felt that God was telling him to lie on his other side. So he lay on his other side for a year and made that arm go all weird and disgusting and gravelly and in the middle of the town. But whilst he was on his other side, he would hold his arm that he had spent a year lying on out. And that was literally just to show the people of that nation that God was hurting for them and God wanted them to come back to him. Prophets share God's very real desire with people. That's what Isaiah is doing in this. But this promise isn't just for the nation of Israel at that time because this was spoken before Jesus. This was a message of hope, of purpose, of, of peace and prosperity to that nation then. But it's also a promise for us now. Through a child, born on Christmas Day, who will be king. Jesus, God's gift to us, restoring our relationship with the creator and establishing communion with God. So this prophecy from Isaiah is exciting, right? They're, they're big, strong words that he's sharing. But what do these verses mean? Are the terms given to Jesus? When we go for our Old Testament, and if we're very Old testament people, you might already know this, the kings like to title. So when Isaiah is giving this title to a king, it isn't quite unusual. It's, it's a pretty big title, isn't it? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It does sound like a Mary Poppins job description, doesn't it? But, but this title wouldn't have been unusual. Kings had big titles. But the other thing that's important to remember is, back in Isaiah's time, biblical literacy was a really big thing. So people didn't have iPhones. I know, it's hard to imagine. Um, But they didn't have physical paper Bibles. The scripture that they would have read would have been very expensive scrolls, because paper was very expensive, and they would have been kept in the temple. Very few people would have actually been able to read them, because you would have had to have been educated to a certain level. So keep this in your mind. So that meant that when people used scriptural references, it's a little bit, sometimes we refer to it as playing sort of theological chess. The words within these scripture, and this word that Isaiah has shared with his audience, and, and to people to be passed on, would have then sparked bits of information about what they would have known about God, what other people would have said about God in other bits of scripture um, and other promises that would have been recorded at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah? So this wonderful counselor would have sparked... I'm a bit lost. Are we in a loop? No. No. I'm looking at the wrong screen. Sorry, I've not got used to this yet. Um, so, would have sparked this. So, if you were Isaiah's time-ish, you would have known that this would have been said about the king of Solomon. 
wonderful counsellor. So you would have thought, oh, fantastic. Has anyone else got the Bible open? Has anyone got Isaiah 28, 29? Does somebody want to find that? He said that later, um, but it's a similar time frame. So these things were all said about God. In Psalm 139, he says this about, um, about God as a wonderful counsel. You search me, Lord, and you will know me. You will know when I sit and when I rise, for you perceive my thoughts afar. And in Proverbs, it talks about God being like a wonderful counselor. Again, in all your ways, you submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. So there's a throwback to Solomon, and then there's three more references to God that people would have known. So this idea that a wonderful counselor was coming, this idea that this person would be wise and would be godly would have been in people's mind. And we might be sitting here thinking, that's absolutely fantastic, but this is all about a baby that is going to come. But there's more. I'm not going to do loads and loads. But in the, in the New Testament, there's several more verses. That's an impressive sneeze. Well done. Um, several more verses that talk about God as this wonderful counselor. And it's just reinforcing this idea that this God that comes as a baby, this God that's going to restore relationship with humankind, this God that we celebrate each Christmas, that we call wonderful counselor, wasn't just a promise for the nation of Israel then wasn't just a promise for, for Mary and Joseph in that stable and the people surrounded that were fearful of the Roman Empire and looking for a way for their faith to be rescued. It's a message for us today because wonderful counselors referenced again in John 2:25, in Colossians, in Hebrews, in Philippians, in James, in 1 John, and in Romans. These are all verses post-Jesus' death, most of them post-Jesus' ascension. These are verses continuing to say, this God that will come, this God that has come and is now, this God that was, is still our wonderful counselor. He still cares for us, still wants to restore our relationship with God, still wants to, to help us know our creator, and still wants to help us be in communion with him. So what does this mean for us today? Just hold that slide to annoy Peter a bit more. Um, over the month of October, I had the privilege of having an extended period um, of time off, which was lovely. I spent a good portion of that um, at a place called Sheldon, uh, which is a, a silent retreat place. It sounds idyllic. I'm going to sell it to you, okay? So you can go to a thatched cottage, and you don't have to speak to anyone for as long as you want. Sounds good, doesn't it? Um, I was talking to somebody else that I worked with in the community that I was going to disappear for a week and be left alone with my own thoughts, and they were absolutely horrified with the concept. But I'm going to try and sell it to you and tell you why it's, it's useful. Um, I would recommend, when I went, I was a bit silly, and I go into rabbit holes, and I thought the way that you can get the most out of a silent retreat is probably total sort of deprivation of fun things. So I was like, I'm not going to take anything... So if you're familiar with Huel, it's a weird food substitute. I ate Huel for a week. Don't do that. You'll lose the will to live. Um, I didn't lose the will to live, but just focusing on prayer, that's what I did. So I went there, and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to think about prayer. I'm going to think about not necessarily how I pray, but our relationship with prayer, my relationship with prayer. Where does it fit with us humans, this very sort of deliberate and spiritual exercise? Because it... If you think about it too much, which maybe isn't helpful, it's a little bit paradoxical. We're trying to satisfy our human spiritual desires, 
human spiritual desires by focusing on something entirely spiritual. I'm not saying there's a hard line anywhere, but just theoretically, weird. So I thought, I'll focus on that. That'll be good. That'll be healthy. Um, so that's what I did. Um, and it was, it was good. It was fun. Do it. Go there. I'll give you the email address. Um, but trying to work out where Jesus fits into this world. Our, our prayer life with God is ultimately about us trying to know God and God, God's will for us. And that's where Wonderful Counselor fits in. It's also where Easter fits in, which can seem a little strange. When we're thinking about Christmas to reference Easter, I'm not just going on the chocolate link. Um, it's more that this person of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, this person coming to restore our relationship, without Easter is quite meaningless. It's not really that possible. This wonderful counselor that, that comes at Christmas is amazing, but without Easter, it's just not that revolutionary. Especially for us today, when we think about our lives, our place in the world, and who Jesus is to us in this concept, Easter confirms that. So I read a lot of books when I was away. So this is from Rob Bell's uh, brilliantly titled book, Sex God. Um, and it says this. This is all talking about the human spiritual sort of concept and who God is to him. So these are his words. He says this. This is what I mean by the sheer poetry of the Jesus story. Jesus is God coming to us in love. Sheer, unadulterated love. Unrefined love. Stripped of everything that could get in the way. Naked and vulnerable, hanging on a cross and asking the question, what will you do with me? See, the Jesus born on Christmas Day is God's gift. It's God's gift to us, God's gift to humanity. And it's not just God's presence on earth, but the gift of relationship with our creator, the one who will and has atoned for all of our sin the one that makes following him mean that we're able to have a relationship with God. And this wonderful counselor isn't just concerned with our relationship with God. He's concerned about our relationship with all of creation, us now in our places, with our friends, with our work colleagues. He wants us, if you were to use one of the NBC vision lines, to be centered in our communities not just concerned with where our souls go or if we go to the good place, but concerned with us here and now. Um, I read another book. I read quite a few books. I love books. Um, this one is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and it's by Peter Scazzaro, I think. Um, he said this. Anyway, God never asks us to annihilate ourselves. We're not to become non-persons. When we become Christians... The very opposite is true. God intends our deeper, truer self, which he created, to blossom with us. Wonderful counselor. Because we've all got purposes, we've all got missions. We are individuals. God made us individuals. We are unique. And there's hundreds and hundreds of Bible verses that will talk about this. And the idea that, that Peter's getting on in this book and sort of was part of my musings and wonderings about prayer and ultimately wonderful counselor is that we are who we are. 
You are you. And not to belittle who you have been and what you have been and what God has seen happen through your life. Because this wonderful counselor is concerned with our experiences. They're, uh, they're of interest to God. Our wonderful counselor doesn't just heal and restores our soul, but our human condition. He helps us to become who we truly are so we can do what he created us for. So this presence of God that we, we talk about at Christmas time, this baby Jesus coming to the world, our wonderful counselor, is epitomized in the story of Mary and Martha in the New Testament when you think about the concept of working for God or being in God's presence. God's concerned with our condition. He's concerned with who we are. He wants us to know him. He wants to heal us. Our God that came as a baby on Christmas, made way for the Holy Spirit so that we can be restored. We can receive his wisdom and our lives can be shaped by him. Our wonderful counselor. So the end of my time away, I was sort of thinking, well, I've read a lot of books and they've said a lot of good things about God and how we should interact with him or, or healthy ways to view our interaction with him. But, but how, how do you get there, right? That's what you go on these things for. You want a little golden nugget, a little thing to write on a post-it note to stick next to your computer screen so you remember to, to be better or, or have an achievable outcome if you're a smart, targety person. Um, and Pete Gregg says it really simply, like Pete Gregg often does, but in a beautiful way. He says this. You must seek solitude and silence as if your life depends on it, because in a way it does. The best way to start praying is to actually stop praying and to pause and to be still. I'm, um, I grew up in quite an evangelical tradition, and I think, well, a good few of us did as well. Silence isn't something that we're very good at or used to, and it is inherently uncomfortable, especially if you've got a busy brain. Um, and, and whilst I was away, one of the things that I was... Uh, encouraged to do was walk around a labyrinth. Um, it's not the one with David Bowie in, so it was a bit disappointing. But you, you walk around this randomized circle and you, you be, and they encourage you to have a word that brings your focus back to what you're supposed to be doing because your brain will wander and you'll start thinking about, I don't know, what color socks might be your favorite Christmas present or something rubbish like that. So you walk around and you focus on nothing and then a word will pop in your head. And if you're very evangelical, you might think, oh, that word is a sign from God. It isn't. You focus back on the thing. And you just wander, and you be still, and you rest, and you hope to find stillness and silence and just be. Because our, our wonderful counselor is desperate to have a personal relationship with us. So if you take anything away from this um, morning, know that that is true for us today. But also, I would encourage you to stop. Walk a dog. Find a quiet spot in your home. Be still. Try and find some pattern of stillness and try and do it as regularly as you possibly can for as long as you possibly can. Be still and know that he's God. It's a promise of God. Jesus, this baby born at Christmas, the the, celebrate, the thing that we celebrate during the season is our wonderful counselor. He's our, our gift from God, irrespective of where we are, where we have been, or where we're going. He wants to know us. He wants to guide us. He wants to restore us.
Shall we pray? Lord, during this time of busyness, of, of work deadlines, of social events, of present buying, wrapping, food, celebration, stress, hurt, and love, we pray that we would find moments to rest in your presence. To be still and just know that you're there. So that we may be guided by you. So that we may better understand your purposes for us and know your love for us.